at a time when the dinosaurs roamed a lush and fertile planet. A piece of rock just six miles wide changed all that. hit with the force of 10,000 nuclear weapons. A trillion tons of dirt and rock hurtled into the atmosphere, creating a suffocating blanket of dust the sun was powerless to penetrate for a thousand years. It happened before, again. It's just a question of when. Welcome to episode 15 of the Magical Disneyland Paris podcast, all things magical and Disneyland Paris. I'm Andrew Williamson and I'm joined once again by the good old Simon West. Hello everyone. Each magical Disneyland Paris podcast episode will have a different focus, be it an attraction, restaurant, or special element of the Disneyland Paris world. This episode we are focusing on Walt Disney Studios' Armageddon, the Effect Special. I want you to try and put something in there, like the infamous or the really, really wonderful Armageddon, but I couldn't put myself to writing that down on the script. Um, <laughs> we will also hand over to you, the listener, and discuss your views and opinions, and we will be there for quite a while, won't we, Simon? Oh, we will, we will. We've got some big, long opinions on this. Good ones, bad ones, many bad ones, and uh, a lot of a lot of ideas for how it could be changed or maybe just scrapped. Scrapped, yeah. Well, from looking at the um, <laughs> from looking at the image of the front of the attraction, it's definitely worth a wait to wait in scrap metal, isn't it? It probably is worth a lot in scrap metal, actually. I mean, maybe. I mean, we've we've just seen the. Uh, financial results come out for this year so maybe that's maybe that's the way to solve the problem just you know scrap it all and sell it to the bloke down the road <laughs> there that, we that go, works let's... in a theme park industry context right that must just be imagine fine. just imagine if they announced that when he announced the financial results um and <laughs> as a side note we're going to uh, turn in some of our scrap metal from the armageddon attraction and make some money back <laughs> yeah where's the noise ka-ching um so, this episode we're going to be looking at the brief, and I say a brief, we try and keep it brief, brief history of the attraction, um, current attraction, what it's like, the building, the queue, the story, the pre-show, the main show, and we'll also be looking at the future, what do you guys think should happen, do you think it'll still be there in the future, what do we think, we'll discuss that, and I'm sure a projection mapping will come into it somewhere. We'll also discuss your opinions, um, looking through your emails, I can't remember if we had some tweets, we'll look back, if there's any tweets we'll mention them. And then we'll uh, discuss, if we have time, what's going to happen in 2017 with regards to my visit to Disneyland Paris. Um, sadly, as far as I'm aware, Simon, you've got no plans to be there as yet. No, not as yet. Who, I mean, to was, be honest, the, uh, the sudden drop in the pound has made it a bit more difficult. But we'll find a way. We'll find a way. Um, we'll send some of the money from the scrap metal from Armageddon to your uh, that'd bank account. That'd be to be honest, I'd uh, I'd trade like getting rid of Armageddon for a trip to Disneyland Paris. It doesn't. I didn't even go on it the last time I went. Hashtag spoilers. Sorry. Whoopsies. 
<laughs> but I am so, perfectly qualified, obviously, to be doing this podcast. Completely qualified, even though I didn't bother to do it last time. It's fine, probably, maybe. Well, you're more qualified for this episode than you were for the uh, Hotel Cheyenne episode. That's true, yes. And I, I've managed to blather my way through that. So this will go fine. This will be amazing because you've actually done it before. Right, opened in March 2000, well, March 2016. Well, yeah, that would have been a short-lived ride. Um, <laughs> opened in March, on the March the 16th in 2002. Uh, capacity overall is 170. Duration, now the total ride time, now this does not mean the actual main show of the attraction, but it's 22 minutes overall. The actual main show inside the space station is approximately 3 minutes and 40 seconds long. So... As we'll surely discuss, a lot and a lot of time wasted in pre-show, Simon. Yeah, that's a huge disparity, isn't it? Three minutes 40 in the main show compared to a total of 22 minutes. Ouch. Now, it was one of those lovely opening attractions for Walt Disney Studios. Oh, weren't they high quality? Just imagine walking through the lovely Studio One to your left. There's no Tower of Terror. There's just a lot of concrete. A lot of steel and metal, and then some big flames coming at you. But just yeah. metal, not real, not real flames. That that's too much. No, and of course, you know, back back in the day as well, in two thousand two, they didn't have all the sort of big facades leading down to uh, Studio Tram Tour either. So you literally just kind of walked out of Studio One, and then down ahead of you, there was just on its own, isolated, was Studio Tram Tour, and then there was like a kind of large grassy area. I think they might have put a like a you know sort of. Uh, Hollywood-style trailer or something in the middle of it, and then just yeah, on your left there was there was Armageddon. <laughs> now in Armageddon there are two pre-show rooms, uh, which we'll go on to discuss later on, known as Studio Seven A or Studio Seven B. Now I take it um, because each building, well, when it was first built uh, in Walt Disney Studios, each building was Studio One, Studio Two, and so on. So this was the seventh studio. Um, because obviously it was a real working studio, so we needed to make sure we had appropriate names. Yeah, they needed to have really boring names. That was absolutely crucial to the design. Sure, building. Uh, we've already discussed the uh, lovely metal facade, but obviously um, you can't get away from the fact that it is about Armageddon. Uh, big flames, big black writing, Armageddon, the effect special, uh, with some flaming balls coming towards the uh, <laughs> cast member hut. I was I don't like to call it there. Also aiming towards the prams that are like in the pram park outside the barriers of the queue area. Well, Don't yeah, I mean, you know, you've, you've, got, you've, you've got a, you know, it's it's big meteors coming towards you, isn't it? So big meteors going towards the children. Why not? You know, <laughs> it's the full. It's a family experience. Everyone gets involved. Um, the colour scheme again. It, it match. It, well, it did definitely match what was already there. You've got uh, rock and roller coaster. It's lovely metal box with really two <laughs> D. Very outdated now. Probably outdated even then with the two CDs outside. Um, I've said in previous tweets that it should be like a big USB stick or a or a smartphone or something outside these days because um, it's so out of date. Yeah, it's uh, it's terrifying uh, how different you know the the ride facades are you know in how they were in 2002 to what you have nowadays with you know say ratatouille for example you know armageddon rock and roller coaster they're just this sort of huge sign outside the show building that says the name and it's massive and it's just like a sheet of metal it's hideous 
But they have tried to um, make it look nice with um, portraits of the cast and crew that are in the film. On they the have, side yeah. of the yeah, I mean that's useful because I mean I I did not see the film until uh, long after first experiencing the attraction, so I had no idea who these people were. So it was nice to you know fill me in on what on earth I was missing out on. You've also got the um, lovely um, moon. Well, it's not moon, but meteorite rover. I don't even know what the official name is. I should have really researched this. Um, the vehicle that they use on the film as well. Probably that gets more attention than the attraction. I see a lot well, of people taking selfies of it. Looks quite cool, doesn't it? Really, it's uh, you know, it's a nice, it's it's a nice prop, it's a nice set piece. It, it looks a lot better than just the sort of large square building that Armageddon is. Do you think the um, the I need to find the official name of this thing rather than calling it the nice big set piece? Do you, do you think that that vehicle would have been better off put in the Studio Tram Tour? Might have actually give it an attraction. Well, perhaps, yeah. I mean, I, I, what I remember was the last time I was there, because I can remember always going as a kid, like that sort of uh, meteor rover, moon rover, whatever it is, always used to sort of stand out quite a lot. And then when they built Tower of Terror and redid the, the opening area, suddenly, like, uh, you know, just you didn't seem to take notice of that moon rover anymore. But that, I think, for me, really shows how much of a difference the whole Tower of Terror area made, because, you know... That's that just one little set piece for Armageddon, just the little rover. You know, that's really not that impressive, but that used to be a big deal. Um, is it called Armadillo? Let's have a look. Let's see. Um, as you that were would talking, be a hilarious pun. <laughs> Let me have a look. Ten best vehicles for the end of the world. Uh, it's definitely not, <laughs> definitely not that one. Oh, wait a minute. It's not clickbait, is it? Oh, I'm going to be clicking through loads of adverts. Oh, Let's no. see. They've this is amazing. Amazing podcast. Um, apparently, on there at number four is the Honda Dream solar-powered car. I'm sorry, gonna, what? You know the uh, really smooth, um, so, like it's a little smooth car with loads of solar panels on the top. And that's that's what you want for the end of the world. Yep, and uh, also a Volkswagen minibus is on there at this list <laughs> as well. <laughs> I mean, if you know, you've got to end the world in style, right? Um, Porsche 911 Carrera S, that's on the list. This is just somebody naming vehicles they've heard of now. Oh, and guess what? The one I wanted isn't even on there. Mm. <laughs> the one I was looking for is not even on the list. Let me see. Wow, this we is tried, amazing. Though, didn't we? We tried. I tried. It's it's there somewhere. Armadillo does ring a bell. Let okay, just... well, that, that can be our challenge for this podcast, then. There we are. Can you find out the name of the large rovery vehicle that is outside Armageddon? Tweet to us when you find it out. Well, no prizes, as always. Can I enter the competition? No, no, you can't. You're in the podcast, Andrew. That would be cheating. Because I Come think on. that is the, leave I some think fun it... for other people. Well, if you want to tweet us the correct answer, the correct answer I think is um, Armadillo. So there we go. Ah, oh, <laughs> just ruined the competition. Come on, we were having great audience interaction going on there. Maybe it lasted for about two seconds. <laughs> so the show building has some lovely yellow railings with some like black diagonal stripes on it obviously to warn us that it's a live set in action don't really see, you obviously sometimes see the cast members wearing their lovely orange boiler suits as well just to make us feel that they're like special effects people and it's flame retardant gear that they're wearing yeah well I mean you know I, I guess if you're going to maintain that attraction you probably would need flame retardant gear but all they do is stand in the big pre-show, pre-show room and just talk to people for 20 minutes yeah I don't see them inside it's not a fun Thanks. job, really, is it, to be honest? <laughs> you've, got, 
If you're going to work in the oh, so what what attraction am I to Oh Armageddon. Oh no, I've just gotta stand there and talk. Are you kidding me? Here's another must be a fun one. Here's another competition entry for Twitter followers out there or listeners on the uh, on the old wireless in the mm. old fashioned days as you would say. Uh, if you did work on Armageddon did you enjoy it? Let us know. That would be so interesting. Uh, we'll uh, feed back in our next podcast. If we don't get anything, then this bit will be cut from the, the MP3 and we'll uh, just wipe it from the face of history. There we are. It never happened. <laughs> so, the storyline. We know Disneyland Paris loves to have a storyline and a backstory. Sometimes they're explicit, sometimes they're there. Uh, just as kind of thread throughout the attraction, just to kind of get you thinking while you're there. Um, you join the crew of the Armageddon and discover the history of special effects. Kind of a mixture there already. You're joining the crew of Armageddon. Are you joining the cast member crew? Are you joining the actual crew on the space station? It's a bit of a mix. You're learning about history of special effects. Hasn't been updated for a long time. Obviously, we've now got CGI, computer graphics. We've got all sorts of amazing special effect techniques. So out of date now that, uh, yeah, they can't really call them special effects anymore. They're just kind of effects then immerse yourself into the drama as your orbiting space station is engulfed in a meteorite shower and everything around you spectacularly blows up collapses or gets sucked into deep space don't close your eyes because you won't want to miss a thing in armageddon lovely little connection there to the film yeah exactly because of course uh the film had a soundtrack partly done by by aerosmith i mean the song <laughs> you don't want to miss a thing in the credits which is obviously a nice link to rock and roller coaster it definitely avec is aerosmith avec aerosmith don't forget the avec the avec it's not with <laughs> it's not with or starring it's avec there we go lovely french there the accent's definitely coming through Ooh, oh i know i'm trying hard <laughs> now so obviously the story is really that you're part of the well you're going behind the scenes obviously Walt disney studios when it was first created was a working studio so you were supposed to be going to watch the special effects you're in the pre-show area you're kind of getting a debrief to explain what your role is going to be you're going to be on the set you're going to see all the special effects you then watch a video of um what's his name again bob uh bear the, the guy called uh, michael clark duncan who plays bear in the film he's there giving you a speech he's talking about that you're going to be in the recreation uh, also the two main characters for the film will join them uh, the central computer of the station, and uh, Colonel Andropov, lovely Russian fella. Um, the film uh, Spiel, um, in both of the studios, A and B, are both identical, but also the uh, artwork that's in there is slightly different. So if you are going, um, maybe someone's forcing you to go on the attraction, or you're just interested after <laughs> listening to this podcast, then if you go into Studio A, or 7A, then uh, just look out for the artwork on the wall. And then what you need to do is ask if you can go into Studio B next time, if you're crazy enough to do it on the same day or the same trip. And let, just let us know, do you do you find extra different bits of artwork? Let us see, know if you can find them. That's, that's a really fun challenge, isn't it? <laughs> wow. <laughs> we'll have loads of takers for that one. Oh, they're going to love it. So, once you've... Um, well, yeah, before you even understand what the storyline is, you need to get into the queue to actually get there. It's not the biggest queue in the world. That probably shows how interesting the attraction is and how popular it is. Although Disneyland Paris do still say that it's still a viable attraction, so it's still getting the visitor numbers, and maybe when the guys with the clipboards are coming around and asking you information about the attractions, maybe it's still um, 
gets thought of highly by regular guests, who knows? Especially if you are into special effects, the um, kind of special effects that are in the attraction are quite interesting once you get into the main egg section of the um, attraction. So I would, I can understand why regular, well, like free, um, infrequent guests to the attract uh, to the park are interested in it. So I can see why it's still probably going. And also, how much does it cost to light a flame every now and then? I'm not sure. I would have expected it to be expensive, but it can't be that bad if uh, it's still going strong today. Well, I mean, it can't cost as much as Catastrophe Canyon to run, I would imagine. I mean, it's a, it's an interesting one because where I stand on Armageddon is is that you know you have this. I mean, it's it's obviously in a sort of very ugly building that harks back to the original theme of of the Walt Disney Studios Park that's obviously changed quite a lot in in fifteen or so years. Um, and then you you know you queue up and you go into this pre-show that just drags on forever and it's just not very exciting. It's not very engaging unless, of course, you know you might happen to have a cast member who is who is a hell of a lot of fun hosting it. But then. Finally, you do get to go into this this main chamber, and that actually is a is a I think a really quite fun experience. Uh, you know, I, I'm not entirely sold on the whole sort of oh, it's a it's a movie set kind of thing. I think it's a slight cheap cop out, but actually, you know, the theming that you have in there is really good. It's really immersive. It's really complete and coherent. And you know, I mean, I, I'm a bit of a sort of small child in this regard, but I just really like seeing a room set on fire. It's just quite fun. I, mean, I agree. You were saying earlier that uh, special effects have changed a lot. But in essence, physical special effects probably haven't changed that much. So I mean, we've got we've got much better CGI now and I mean a, a lot of a lot of special effects would be sort of brushed out the way to to use to use computer generated imagery instead. So I, I think it's quite cool that uh, we still have an attraction that is harking back to the days of uh, of good old yeah, let's just actually set it on fire instead of doing that in the edit. Very true. Um, we'll come back to my opinions on the main show to kind of agree with that in a few seconds because we're only going to quickly cover the pre-show, although we'll probably end up mentioning the words pre-show about 500 times, so it definitely <laughs> should be some kind of drinking game for the weekend. Every time we say the words pre-show, have a shot of whiskey or Sambuca or whatever your tipple of fancy is. So, yeah, once you've entered Studio uh, 7A or 7B, where the cast member explains to you what's going on and about how you're in part of this, blah, 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 you've got the short history of animation. And Sorry, sorry, that's a completely wrong attraction. Short history of special <laughs> effects um, and a speech from Bear, as we said before. So, the pre-show, obviously, if it's only 3 minutes 40 seconds in the attraction, in the main section, you've got... 16 minutes so 16 and a half minutes of pre-show which i don't think there's a pre-show anywhere in the disneyland paris um empire where we've got a pre-show that is that long but is that boring yeah it's it's amazing that you have a you have a pre-show that's so wildly longer than the show it's amazing i mean uh, you know i know obviously you could you could possibly call you know like the queuing system for Big Thunder Mountain a pre-show, but I don't think anyone really would. You know, the reality is you queue up and then they take you into a separate room and then it just drags on and on and on and on. Are you still there? Or are you still going on and on and on? I've got like 16 minutes to do, I think, if I'm going to top Armageddon. Right, well, I'll just disappear and I'll come back in 16 minutes. <laughs> 
So, like comparing it with other attractions in Walt Disney Studios, you've got Rock and Roller Coaster. Once you're in the queue and the queue line still goes past, you've kind of got the speakers in the doors, and we don't want to cover this too much because we'll probably do a Rock and Roller Coaster episode eventually. But you kind of get little bits as you go through the queue area. Um, with Armageddon, there is the queue outside the studio door, and then you're into the pre-show. But in Rock and Roller Coaster, you've then got Aerosmith on the on the screens doing their thing, playing the guitar, the roller coaster going down, that kind of music. And then when you go to Ratatouille, and no spoilers for you here, Simon, because I know you haven't done this yet and you haven't listened to the podcast yet, um, but you've got a lovely little pre-show there, even though you've queued up outside in the normal queue area for quite a while. Uh, the pre-show is, in my opinion, up there with the same quality and the same importance as the main attraction. So if, if you're doing the fast pass and you're doing the single rider and that's all you do, then you're missing out on the pre-show, which I feel is a really big part of the attraction. So a little tip for you there, do the normal standby queue because you will miss the main element of the pre-show. And that just shows if, you... Go if on. only you could do the same thing on Armageddon. Just, uh, <laughs> just take, miss it. Take the single rider queue and then you don't have to do the pre-show. <laughs> but that, again, that just shows you how bad... The pre-show is for Armageddon when you've got some great examples of really small, like it was. Suppose the the Ratatouille one, you could depending on how the queue goes. The, the, the it's kind of part of the queue, but it's a part, the pre-show is part of the queue there, and it, it just adds so much to the feel of the attraction. Whereas I don't think I, I'd, it doesn't add anything. The one in Armageddon. I yeah, I, I mean, I guess uh, sort of similar point of comparison would be i mean say you i guess you could compare it to rock and roller coaster but i mean that just has a very short snappy pre-show that's great kind of sets you up then you're immediately through it you don't you don't stick around in that pre-show room long at all the better one to compare it to might be star tours when you're waiting to board your star speeder now 1000 not 3000 anymore you know you ha- you stand there and you watch the sort of safety spiel you know it's it's Oh, it's all you know done up as a safety spiel, but really it's you know it's it's a pre-show to kind of hype you up, in essence, and that that does it really nicely. It sets the tone, it sets the scene, it gets you excited to go on an adventure in in the Star Wars universe. Whereas the Armageddon one, you just sort of oh look, they used to draw things on a bit of card as a special effect. Oh, isn't that isn't that interesting? Oh, look, <laughs> oh, that's what happens in the film. Something blows up. Oh, that's very good, isn't it? Can we go now? So there's a there's a real difference, I think, between uh, between how these pre-shows work. You know, some of them set the scene really nicely and get you into the world, whereas this one's... I, I don't know whether it's trying too hard to be educational, perhaps, but just sitting people in front of a video that's far too long to be a good hype builder, it's, it's just not going to work. And the thing that gets me these days is the video that... The, well, the, the TV that they play the videos on... Um, they obviously have the main projection, which is normally in French, and then to either side you've got English and Spanish and different languages. I can't remember, but I'm sure they're not using LCD TV. They're still using our good old cathode ray tube televisions. Oh, wow. So that just shows you how amazing this pre-show is. So what they, anyway. what they really need to do then, they just need to really embrace how old-fashioned all this stuff is now and just, uh, just, just like keep it, it as a kind of blast into history really you know they you know could probably you know build that up as if that's a feature of the attraction even though it's just now very outdated 
So it's the history of special effects, the history of TVs, the history of pre-shows, the history of buildings, <laughs> the history of the Walt Disney Studios. So yeah. Yeah. In the past is how we would describe it. <laughs> the main show. Um, so once you've probably woke yourself up and the, the cast members going around tapping people on the shoulder saying, right, can you wake up now? We need to go into the main area. Uh, guests proceed into the, st- the set, which is the station, the space station's main deck. Uh, when the show is starting, that's when we have the director calling action. And then we've got the different scenes. We've got windows opening either on either side of the space station. Um, Earth lets... Um, you can see Earth as well through the windows. Uh, you witness the arrival of the meteorite rain, as it's described. Now a lovely Wikipedia article, which uh, is definitely reliable. Um, as <laughs> all this it? all this rain and debris hits the station, diff- different uh, things are happening. So you've got lights flickering, you've got gas bursting, you've got smoke coming through. The ceiling is like bulging and it's kind of like a heartbeat because it's ready to collapse um, you've got rocks then crossing the room uh, they've obviously you've got the LCD screens with all like the space switches and technical stuff going on and they're all shouting alert and there's red lights flashing everywhere at one point as well there's a build up of pressure in the pipes and that causes a part of the wall to be like pulled out and ripped out so like part of the wall is actually ripped off from the space station as we know because we're all nerds here then if you let something like that happen um, obviously, it's going to pull all of the air out of the space station. It's going to cause like a vacuum onto it. But luckily, before anybody gets flung out, the doors shut tight. And then uh, one thing it doesn't mention on here is the fact that the uh, floor falls as well, which is one of the best parts of the attraction for me. As it well is, as it's that, a really cool bit. The best bit is a big, powerful explosion in the middle where we get a massive ball of flame. Now, I'm not sure. Never been on a space station. Probably never will go on a space station. But would the would a fire start right in the middle of the space station in such a controlled manner? No, I'm pretty sure if a space station was <laughs> going to get hit by meteors, it would just sort of all collapse and float away into space. With it, and I don't think they'd be. <laughs> I don't think they've got that. I mean, how much flammable stuff do you take onto a space station? Well, the sounds of this film, as much as possible. You get. You just take all the gas canisters up there. I love <laughs> it. It's well exciting. All of your Primark gear, shell suits. Um, fake wigs, anything you, flammable. Can you even keep stuff pressurised very easily in space anyway? Don't know, I've never been. It's no. <laughs> another another podcast question. Woo! We if need a jingle. Space, let us know. We need a jingle, don't we? Podcast we question of the week, month, year, um, whenever we do it. Um, <laughs> yeah, once all, once all this happens, you've got a lovely uh, voice that shouts out, the director again, and they shout, cut! And that closes the show. Um... You also get some pre like it'll be recorded bits of like cast members in the background talking and stuff like as if it was a real set. Now one thing it when you're there and because of how detailed a lot of the equipment is and I spent a lot of time uh, working on this attraction and we'll go through some great review which we received from Cafe Fantasia on Twitter. Uh, when they're filming this well because you're supposed to be on the set and it's film it's getting filmed you're part of the set. It's a close set and everywhere you look it looks like a space station, but from what I've seen on back behind the scenes footage on DVDs, there's normally one side of the attraction which doesn't have like a part of the scene on it, so the cameras can get in there, the, the, act, the directors can sit and direct the acting that's going on. So I don't know if it was continuing with the theme of it being a working studio, then surely there should be some kind of fake wall. Well, they cut off where we can see the cameras and maybe the rest of the lovely hangar 
wish all of this attraction is like set in. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you've just highlighted the reason why the Walt Disney Studios Park now has a change of design ethos. Really? So, basically, they knew, even from the start, even though the idea was, this is a working studio, you're on a set. They kind of said, well, to be honest, we, that would be ridiculous. It needs to be a closed attraction. It needs to feel like you're on a space station. Um, yeah, and I'm, I would... I'm thoroughly glad they made that decision, actually. Oh, I definitely, mean, yes. know, They were... They were... Definitely, sort of taking liberties with the with the whole design ethos of oh yeah, it's a working, working the working studio kind of thing. But you know, I, I, as I said before, I, I do think that that main show room and the stuff that happens in it, I, I do think is is really engaging and gripping and exciting. I like it. So Especially, I, I, think, I think they did a good job of it. Yeah, when they um, when they pull the air from the room and there's a big explosion that rips the door, well the the wall off and then the door shut. That's really interesting. You've got the uh, flame, the big giant like ball of flame in the middle, which singes your eyebrows off, no matter <laughs> where you are in the room. That's a really good effect. And then I really like, like I said before the floor dropping. Now, this is straight from Disneyland Paris. Apparently, when the ground does fall underneath your feet, it only actually falls twelve millimeters, but it gives the feeling of falling much much lower, and it is a wonderful sensation. At the time, you're panicking and you're probably having a heart attack inside, but. Once you know you're okay, you kind of think, wow, that was really immersive and that was really cool. Um, similar with the um, air that's coming in. Now, it says here from Disneyland Paris, the giant fan blows 10,775 cubic meters of air per second. And this is more than the capacity of two cabins of the aeroplane Boeing 747. Now, I'm just guessing because 10,775 cubic meters sounds like a really big number. But that does sound like a lot of air getting pumped in. Um, obviously, that's blowing through your hair. You can see things blowing on the attraction. Again, it just shows you how much effort and thought and how much technology is behind this kind of attraction. Yeah, it's a great stat, isn't it? I mean, I've, I've personally got absolutely nothing to uh, sort of gauge how good that stat actually is, but 10,775 sounds good. It sounds pretty good to me. Now, if that's I don't know if that's um, like two cabins worth of air per second, so whether that's two massive cabins of the 747 per second blowing at you. Either way, it sounds like a really big number. Now, our friend Alan uh, at Café Fantasia on Twitter has also sent us some lovely trivia. Uh, French-born Thierry Coup has, over the years, moved back and forth between creating attractions for Disneyland Paris and Universal Studios Orlando. Uh, he was a creative director of Armageddon and Motors Action, but went on to be the executive creative director of the Wizarding World of Harry Potter and is now actually the senior vice president of Universal Creative. Uh, he goes to say quite a step up, and it definitely is. Um, you probably find uh, Mortar's action is really, really good. I normally do it every single time I go, not so much recently, uh, but before, like for like nine years in a row, I've done it every single year. But I can imagine if you speak to a lot of hardcore Disneyland Paris fans, if you say he's went on from Armageddon and Motors action onto the Wizarding World of Harry Potter, they would be kind of scratching their heads thinking, well, why couldn't he give us such detailed and famed attractions while he was here at Disneyland Paris? Well, I mean, I, th I think the answer probably lies in the word budget, and that's the Disney I don't think really gave him much at all. Although, you know, as, as we said, uh, personally, I, re I really like the, the actual main show of Armageddon. I think, you know, a, as a creative director, he really did a good job of making that bit immersive, making that bit exciting and tense. And personally, I'm a massive fan of Motors Action. I've really loved it. 
And I mean, it you know it really was a popular show because when uh, for the what was it like fiftieth anniversary or whatever of Florida, or it might not have been fiftieth, might have been might have been a lesser one than that. But anyway, they they had a big sort of anniversary for it, and the gimmick was that they took something from one attraction from each of the resorts around the world to bring to Walt Disney World, and the one they took from Disneyland Paris was Motors Action because. Not gonna lie, it's a great show. I bloody love it. Oh, it definitely is, isn't it? And I think that still works as a kind of behind the scenes, will kind of an educational. This is how we make a live stunt show uh, for film. Um, it does. So but that that still really works because that maintains its pace. It sort of teaches you how stuff's going. You know, it does the cool stunts, and it's like, oh, by the way, this is how we do it. Now we've got at, another big stunt. For yeah, you. at the it's, same it time, it flows really, really nicely. There's none of this sort of okay, let's just stand there for 16 minutes and watch a video, guys. So what are you are you suggesting that we should maybe mix the pre-show and the main show of Armageddon together? So you have two minutes of hi, I'm Bear from Armageddon. Probably not because I mean it works it works with motors action because that's a you know it's like a what forty minute an hour long show I can't remember how long it is but it's that's you know it's it's a proper show show rather than a sort of attraction show. So are you I, miss are you missing out on a wonderful party in your halls? Yeah, probably am, yeah. Sad times, right? Because I can hear loads and loads of whooping and shouting and screaming. Sounds just, like you're mis- just happens all the time at uni. It's a good life. <laughs> just 100% of the time, everyone's having a good time. Yeah. Sounds like they've went, we're not on Armageddon. Sounds like they've walked past the uh, your room now and they've gone. What a shame. We could have asked them to join in, see if anyone's been to Disneyland Paris. We could have asked them their opinion live on the podcast. Oh, yeah, we can start vox-popping people. That'd be fun. <laughs> so, uh, Aerosmith, Smith, as we mentioned before, and you mentioned before, Simon, pr- provides a link between Rock and Roller Coaster and Armageddon. Three Aerosmith Smith songs were used in the film, which was uh, released in July 1998. The most notable song being I Don't Want to Miss a Thing, which plays over the end credits. I don't know why they always pick the most popular or the most notable song to put them over the credits, because normally you fast-forward those if you're on a tape if you want to get to the uh, secret bits, which I don't think there is on this film, or you're kind of walking out, putting popcorn in the bin, if you've got any left. Well, I guess guess it might be a bit weird if you just sort of interrupted the film. You're like, by the way, we've paid for a really expensive band to do a song for us, so we're just going to have a quick musical interlude in the middle of this film. Then we'll get back to the action. Why not? And it, well, don't we Fair shouldn't enough. say it too loudly, because it probably will happen one of these days. Like the, ha- <laughs> like the Super Bowl halftime show. Yo, I've been watching Star Wars. Now let's go straight to Aerosmith. So long as they don't start doing it in the middle of attractions, so you don't get to like the second chain lift hill of Big Thunder Mountain, they sort of stop you. Like, By the way, quick bit of advertising for you here. J.J. <laughs> um, Abrams um, co-wrote the screenplay for Armageddon, and I didn't know this. Um, and of course, he went on to direct such films as Mission Impossible, Super 8, The Star Wars, The Force Awakens. So... Um, some more little links there. So obviously, Disney released Armageddon as well. Uh, something I wasn't really aware of. Obviously, it wasn't a full-on Walt Disney classic, um, but the studios did uh, kind of distribute the film. So um, that's the reason why it sat there in Walt Disney Studios Park. Yeah, I mean the uh, I mean the, the Disney uh, don't necessarily own the rights to everything that they have in um, in the parks. So things like the Twilight Zone, they don't own the rights to. When they were originally doing a lot of the Star Wars stuff with the original Star Tours, they didn't have the rights to that back then, obviously. Um, but one thing that was interesting in the latest financial report that came out, 
was saying that because of the financial difficulties that Disneyland Paris is undergoing, the Walt Disney Company is waiving uh, the the rights fees that it has to pay them. So Disneyland Paris, despite the fact that it's it is Disney, has to still pay Disney for the use of intellectual properties like Armageddon, and that's was it's something like seventy or eighty million euros a year or something. Yeah, something like that, yeah. I still find it astonishing. I can see why it happens, because obviously it's Euro Disney that run Disneyland Paris, even though Walt Disney Company now own as much as legally possible in France. I always found it weird, though, because surely if they wanted the park to do well all these years, then that could have been something that they kind of said, well, it's our one of apart from the films, the, the parks are probably one of their biggest brands that everyone talks about. Yeah, um, but of with, course with they're also sort that. of franchised out so to speak it might have been a million actually it might have been might have just been thousand should have looked that up for the start of the podcast but anyway, i'm sure it's a, i think it, it's I a think lot it of was mi- i think it was money. million i think it was million um some more little lovely trivia tidbits there from uh, cafe fantasia um ronald cleave who was the uh, opening crew operations manager for Walt disney studios park said that they wanted to try and be educational as well as fun so that, that's that's one of the other reasons why it was kind of a working studio so they could teach you all about the special effects they could teach you uh, history of animation you've got obviously got the live stunt show so initially um it kind of all did link and as times went on and they've added extra elements to it it's kind of lost that and they've, i think they've, they've even came out and said haven't they the imagineers that that is no longer the uh the route they take in and there'll be i'm sure eventually if we look back in 10 years time if the parks are still open <clears throat> then um <laughs> it'll have it'll have completely oh, changed oh, that's <laughs> but that's the way our life is don't make money we're closing you down boys Oof. but we'll let that one linger there for a second <laughs> so um yeah, he also went on to say, about, this is about Armageddon again, guests enter from planet Earth but very quickly find themselves in a Russian space station 70 miles above the planet and in the middle of a terrifying meteor shower. Uh, shower. The, the attraction took two years of development and presented some absolutely painstaking engineering challenges. So I can't believe that, well actually I can, the main, the main section that took them two years of development, maybe it took them so long to develop the main show that they didn't have any budget or any time left to get the pre-show as good as they wanted because surely the Imagineers even at the time probably thought to be honest the pre-show just doesn't work oh, I would imagine that probably was the case and they probably did look at it and go well we've you know we've got such tiny budget you know what what do you prioritise do you try and spread it out over the main show and the pre-show and sort of have all of it just being a bit meh or do you go right? Just sod the pre-show. It's going to suck, but we'll have a we'll have a really good special effects book with lots of fire. Probably do made you, the right decision if that was the I, I, uh, if that was if the that was the option. Yeah. Do you feel if there was no pre-show, would you queue outside for the attraction if it took you sixteen minutes to queue for the attraction? Because sixteen minutes, although it is quite long, especially for Armageddon, um, it's not the longest attraction queue that you will see in the parks would you queue for it and then go straight in obviously with two pre-show areas you it's could a good have question. kind of I mean if the if the queue was inside probably yeah so even so if, if there was, was no outside and it was raining maybe not <laughs> we'll see we'll see what happens when we speak about our future section um mm-hmm. so yeah uh Again, this is um, some notes that Café Fantasia made from the making of Armageddon. Um, 
video which is on uh, Disneyland Paris on YouTube. Um, this is Paul Bailey, the special effects lead for Armageddon. So he said, rehearsal of the, st- the special effects uh, began two years ago. We go over the script with the creative director, the show director, and we go through each individual element as it pertains to the story. And we start playing with different types of technologies to come up with the looks for each of those elements. Um, the biggest technical challenge for him personally was the suction wind effect. Now, we mentioned the wall blew off. Um, so it says in that sequence, the uh, space station gets broken by a big meteor that hits the space station. Uh, as we know in space, we've got a vacuum. So any air that's in the space station has to be sucked out of the space station. Um, how do they do that? Well, they actually pulled a vacuum on the room. Uh, it says it's a gigantic technical feat that they've accomplished. Um, now, this is where we, when you start getting geeky on it and you start looking at the technology, um, I know from speaking about this attraction and researching it, I'm sure that in the next year, so in 2017, I'll probably end up making my way onto the attraction just so I can watch out for how, well, maybe not how they do it, but just when the vacuum is pulled on the room. So obviously it's not for long. It's only a few seconds and then the door shut and then the vacuum's gone and the the air comes back into the room. But just to pull a vacuum like that, first of all, how do you get something like that past health and safety executives? (laughs) You have no idea. No, no, I don't. don't, How do you, you know, how do you fool those people? They have so (laughs) many risk assessments. Who knows? Because obviously... Is it not also done with, with fans as well? Is that not part of what the... No. Well, yeah, yeah. Maybe the that's, um, maybe that's a different, a different. That was that was more like form. the wind and bits coming in and blowing through the space station. Um, but like, because the door does open and you can see there's loads of smoke and it kind of gets sucked out. Um, so obviously, what they're saying there is they do actually pull a vacuum on the room, so they're sucking the air out of the room. Now, obviously, because it's so quick and it's only for a short space of time, I can imagine they haven't sucked all of the air out of the room. Because um, <laughs> obviously that's when the health and safety people will be like, wait a minute, there is no oxygen in this room, we need to close the attraction down. That was not French, but it was it was, anything. It was just a generic it's, accent. Yeah, good, good, good enough for sort of generic health and safety inspection. I think that's good enough. Um, also, they use liquid nitrogen as well to create the fog and the steam to create the different vapours. Uh, that's all very, very similar to what they have done on a movie set as well. So they are using movie standard technology and movie standard um, effects. And obviously, in the case of a theme park, it needs to be a lot more controlled and it has to be the same every single time. Because um, obviously, with a film, you've got multiple takes uh, to get it right. But if you have to take about 20 attempts before it becomes right on the attraction, then you've got a bit of a problem. Now, an interesting quote um, comes from the Lord Saviour, Tony Baxter. Hallelujah. Um, his idea is to improve Armageddon. He said it didn't. Uh, the attraction didn't know whether it was a backstage tour or was it an actual thing that was happening to you. Um, the Imagineers were asked to come back in and reconfigure it without spending too much money to make sense of it. Uh, and he said, well, why not take people down into the main theatre, which was on this uh, spaceship, as they were being pelted by a meteor shower and all that. So obviously this was even before the uh, final attraction. He didn't like what was going on. Um, he liked it. He said, but you're pretty sure he's setting up that you're not in real environment. Uh, so why do we... Uh, so it says, why don't we not reset the set? And I said, leave it like that and let's walk everybody into this room. Now, they... Because obviously they wanted to add a bit more to it, but he liked the fact that it felt like you were in space and you were on a space station. So I think it was kind of a balancing act between the both, wasn't it? Like we discussed before. 
Well, I mean, and also the, the idea of sort of not resetting the set then gives you that opportunity to have everyone sort of walk in and all the, you know, the bits on the ceiling are sort of hanging down still and then you can sort of have the director call something and then you have that moment where it all sort of gets back into place and it's like, right, it's time to go now, which is, is quite a nice moment, I guess. Yep. Um, right. That was about 40 minutes of not speaking very long about the attraction. We're now going to go on to probably one of our favourite sections of any podcast, and that is what we feel could happen in the future. The future. Now, we mentioned about our lovely drinking game where we mentioned a certain word. That word is pre-show. We're going to mention it again. Do you feel... Pre-show. 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 That's a new gif. I can just see a new gif coming up now with a nice bottle of beer and (laughs) pre-show flashing on it. Um... So yeah, do you feel like my, my the notes I've wrote down here say new slash no pre-show? Now we've mentioned briefly what would you do? Would you if there wasn't a pre-show, would you queue for it? Um, you also mentioned having the queue inside. I think it would be a great idea um, for the pre-show to have a pre-show, but to be completely scrapped as it is now. But kind of the queue area, kind of going um, like looping back back and forward. Wouldn't have to be a big one. Because I think part of the problem is that you've got this really big empty room which never gets full of people. You've then got the cast member in the corner with the TV views. Again, we've covered it so much, but it's so boring that you've been there for 16 minutes. Why don't they have you walking around the outside of the room, even to put in some fake walls? If they're scrapping the idea of it being behind the set, why can't it be kind of either on the meteorite itself, maybe? <laughs> <laughs> just just get put it out there so, so you so you start out on the meteor that's gonna that's gonna attack the space station and then you like pop onto the space station like oh there's the meteor that i was just stood on why not <laughs> the, me, the meteor the meteorite is a big character in the film well i think so you know i mean that bait that it is the whole film really isn't it it's oh it's almost the title character really it is there we go or the why whole don't... synopsis relies on it why don't yeah, you then? Bruce uh, or whatever. Oh, we'll really back a little bit, and you can just be on Earth as the crew are preparing to go, because that's obviously part of the film as well. Them leaving their loved ones behind, so you could have um, could just be in a if, different room of the space station. Might it be could easier. be. It could just be a queue in the space station. How big is your space station? I don't know. I don't know. You're dreaming bigger than I am, Andrew. I'm like, oh, we'll just keep it on the space station. You're like, right, let's put it, let's put it on the meteorite, or we'll start them out on Earth. That's the kind of ambition that the Imagineers <laughs> need. Let's have them on the launch pad um, before they get to the uh, space rocket, which then we'll sends them to the space station. build a massive station. cannon up the side of the building that we can put them in. Oh, hang on, no, they've used that idea. They've used that idea. Oh, well, idea. scrap that one. Um, yeah, so I, I do feel it needs something, because um, obviously you've got Studio A, Studio B. I'm pretty sure, like we've discussed already, does work if it's done correctly. So maybe they could have they could extend the queue area so it kind of goes inside. If they still want it to be about the film Armageddon, and we'll we'll discuss what they could change it to later on. But if they kept it as Armageddon, they could have different elements, even some touchscreen TVs, so you can kind of pretend or control a fake dialogue, a fake computer on the space station. Uh, if we have to stay on the space station, if we're on the meteorite which obviously is before the film. But the uh, Pirates of the Caribbean... Um, so they land on the meteorite, don't they? Or is this a different film I'm thinking about? No, they land on the, they land on the meteorite. No, wait a minute. Am I, am I, think, am I thinking of Deep Impact? Um, I mean, the film you named was Pirates of the Caribbean. No, sorry, yeah, I mentioned that which as well. Which really confused my, me. My brain's going everywhere. No, they on get Pirates on a pirate ship and then they land on the meteorite. <laughs> 
It sounds like a good film, actually, in fairness. That's there a good we synopsis. Go. The Meteorite Pirates. Actually, isn't that just Treasure Island? Treasure oh, well, Planet, I mean. Treasure Planet, yeah. <laughs> Oh, uh, so you can films. you can tell it's a late evening. <laughs> the um, you know what I was saying was Pirates of the Caribbean in Disneyland Paris is actually the only one that kind of tells the tale in order, doesn't it? Because the Pirates of the Caribbean in the different parks around the world kind of do things in a random back to front order, as far yes. as I'm aware. Um, so why right. don't we do the, why don't we do this back to front? They're on the meteorite. You're drilling something on the meteorite while you're waiting in the queue, queue and then we go back in time when the meteorite strikes you. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think there's a there's a you know really fundamentally good point there that you can have a queuing system that acts as the pre-show and really sets the scene for you. You know, especially you don't, you don't need to sit someone down. You know, you don't need to be as obtuse as to say, "All right, let's have a video setting the scene." You know, you can use the you know you can use the scenery around people as they just wander through it and mill through it, waiting to get on the attraction. That can set the scene nicely for you. Lovely. That's exactly how it should be. Even if it's quite simple, and it is just basically a nice queue, but you've got the sounds of the uh, space station. Even if you can hear the astronauts, if it's like on a, if you know you're going to be in there for 16 minutes or 20 minutes, then you could have a nice loop, half an hour loop of different voices, sound effects of being on. Uh, you could even have like parts of the like the script, like audio from the film of what they would say and what they would do. As it, even if it's like, because I'm rocking roller coaster, you've obviously got them fake doors for a different studio. Uh, maybe you could be ha- like in a different section of the space station while you're queuing up, and you can hear the guys, the Russian astronauts, etc., speaking to each other as part of the film in the next room. Because um, obviously, if you're not working on a real set and it's going to be a real space station, then you've got more to play with, then, haven't you? It's got it's got to be a real space station, then. You know, you can hand people out little. Like packets of dried food that they can eat, it'd be great. Oh, but obviously you would sell those for about twenty euros a packet. <laughs> yep. And unless you've got an empty package, you're not allowed into the main attraction area. <laughs> That's your eat ticket. Up, eat up, eat up. <laughs> um. So pre-show, there's another drink. I again, I think they do need one, and they can incorporate it with the queue area. But what about if we decided that Armageddon wasn't the right story? Because I think it could still work. Obviously, it's not the biggest, and well, it's probably not. If I speak to anybody of a certain age, maybe younger than you, I'll say they probably won't even have an idea what Armageddon is. Um, it's one of the I haven't watched the film for years and years and years, so I don't even know the story of the film anymore. Uh, but like we've we've said already, Twilight Zone, Tower of Terror isn't a big IP. It's bigger. The biggest part of it is on the Tower of Terror. Does it matter if it's not in like modern culture at the moment? Well, I mean, probably you, not. You, you say people younger than me wouldn't wouldn't get it, but I mean, people people my age, you know, wouldn't get it. I was I would have been like three when that film came out. So uh, you know, it doesn't you know that doesn't have any sort of connection to me in any way because you know I, I wouldn't have seen it when it was new by any means. That's true. Um, but uh, no, I mean, I, th- I think there are some, there are definitely some very big IPs that could make use of a room with some slightly futuristic-looking stuff in it that gets set on fire, and you've written them down on this script that we have here: Marvel, Star Wars, easy. It wouldn't even cost that much to uh, to change it over. But no, and just imagine cause it, the pre-show. If it kept the same studio where well seven A and seven B, it would still I think 
even if it was a Star Wars behind the scenes, not I'm not saying it just has to be standing there watching a video of an actor from Star Wars, but even just updating it a little bit, if it has the Star Wars brand on it, and they're gonna they're gonna see some exclusive footage by standing there, and maybe some props or some um, like clothing, costumes, that kind of thing, or even some sets. In the so, room, I'd be so excited to see some props and stuff for that. So, like, obviously, the amount of people that spend money to go to these conventions, Star Wars conventions, Star Wars meets. Just imagine being able to go into a room, and you know, obviously, it wouldn't happen. But imagine if it updated every year. If you had a new piece, or there was a there was a piece that was touring the different parks, and you mind you know that if you go within that next twelve months, you will get to see a certain piece of Star Wars memorabilia. Oh, um, the dreams, the dreams. That would get people in, and surely now, obviously. Depends on exactly how licenses work. Obviously, they own Lucas Films, but obviously there might be different people that own different parts, or they have to lease you from a different place. But surely that's possible. But then again, it's in the wrong place. But does it matter? Star Wars Celebration, or whatever it's called these days, I can't remember what it's called now. The field, the season of the Force, that's happening in Walt Disney Studios Park. So, despite the fact that the Star Wars attractions are exactly all over in, in Discoveryland. Discovery so obviously, Star Tours won't even be open when uh, Season of the Force is on. No, nor will Hyperspace uh, Mountain. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, Hyperspace Mountain is being built in inside a Jules Verne themed <laughs> building. So, so the way things go, we could easily have Armageddon still on the side of the building. Yeah, but inside yep. is Star Wars. It's Star Wars inside. Yep. There we go. Uh, Marvel. Uh, there's lots and lots of rumours of that end of what this New Park coming like a Marvel area but I'm sure I heard it quoted from somebody at Disneyland Paris that that was not going to happen anytime soon yeah. which is in Disneyland Paris speak that means about 50 years because if yeah. it happened if it's happening soon it happens in about 10 years <laughs> so if it's happening no time soon it's definitely not happening it's in the next really 20 years really not happening then. <laughs> at all um, but yeah what kind of thing would you do with Marvel because um Gonna, I'm not really the biggest. I don't want to say this too loudly because I know there's a lot of people who listen to our podcast who are Marvel fans and I love it inside out. I do like the films, but I don't know much about the whole universe and how things connect. How would you put a Marvel uh, attraction together with the Armageddon building? I've got absolutely no idea. I'm not a comic book person, so I know I will know even less about it than you do. I've seen about two Marvel films in my <laughs> life, so that's a really bad admission to make. <laughs> I'm just. I'm going to lose all of my Twitter followers now. I've I've only got like a hundred anyway. I'll be down to two by the time yeah. this podcast goes live. And yeah, about no, nine. I've, I've yeah, got no, no idea. I mean, I guess it would be something like uh, what they're doing with Tower of Terror in California. Um, you know that that sort of futuristic-y, slightly punkish kind of look. I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know what all the stuff is about. I, Iron Man is a thing. That's about <laughs> all I know. <laughs> Iron Man is a thing. Going well for me. There we go. Um, I tell you who does know quite a lot about it, and we'll get onto it very soon. Luke, NIDLP gig. He has lots and lots of opinions on Marvel, so we're going to let. I'm going to leave this little Marvel bit hanging because I know that we'll come to his email, and he will just kind of wipe the floor with us. He'll cover all of it for us. We don't even need to talk about it. He owns this, all right. There we go. Meet and greet is one of the ideas as well, possibly for the future. A lot of people say that. Obviously, if you do a meet and greet, you've got the two studios, A and B. You could have different characters like you do in the Princess Pavilion. Um, I don't want to spoil any magic, but there is about two or three um, in Meet Mickey Mouse. There's about two or three different areas you can meet Mickey Mouse as well to keep the queue going. 
Um, so like a, like, like a lot of attractions, there's different rooms or different versions. I think there's about is it two or three Dumbo rides in America. I think it's is it California. I can't remember. Yeah, now. I think California has two Dumbo rides. Which is and then um, Midway Toy Story Midway are. Mania has about four tracks or something. They keep adding them because it's so popular. Yeah, the people love it. So why don't we have two meet and greets, the exact same character in either side, whether you go <laughs> to A or B. Um, again, it'll probably be a moneymaker. More people will buy photo pass. More people will buy individual photos and merchandise. All it does I mean, it's, mean is... It's possibly cheaper as well than uh, burning loads of gas all the time. Exactly, but it does mean you're going to have a lovely attraction with all that, like the floor moving, the wind, the suction, the vacuum, the fire... That's going to be sat there doing nothing because they won't take it out because it costs money to take it out. Yeah, which would be a shame because I like the men's show. And equally, I'm not really that much of a character person, so it wouldn't wouldn't suit me personally. But then you know, you just have to look at the cues that Princess Pavilion gets, and you know, well, all the cues that character meet and greets get, and know that people love characters. It's a and big one and, point. and one day, Simon, when you've got a kid. You will, uh, you'll have no choice in the matter. Because I never used to be, I never used to be a fan. I would never used to go to it um, and see characters or anything like that. But since uh, having a, a son, he loves characters now, and I'm sure when we go again in April, he'll be uh, wanting to queue up or at least go to some kind of interactive um, character meal so we can uh, get the interaction with the characters because he loves it now. Yeah, no, I mean have... it's not it's not the characters I've I've got in here against it's it's really the queuing because I mean I've had I've had some character dining experiences that have been utterly hilarious and I've thoroughly enjoyed them and then say you know I last time I was there I, th- I think I only I think I only sort of met one character but that was just because they happened to be coming out and getting into their position as we were sort of walking past and we were like oh look no queue let's go and do it now and you know it's good fun but oh god some people will queue for a really 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 long time. That's good because it's taken him away from other cues. So that's all. very true. If we're being selfish, right? It would not be a podcast episode for the Magical DLP team if we didn't discuss projection mapping. Um, on a side note, I don't know if anyone's seen my tweet the other day of a T-shirt. I'm very tempted to buy next time I'm in the parks. Uh, I love projection mapping. Um, magical DLP, Magical DLP quote on the uh, Magical DLP apparel. Uh, mm-hmm. If you go to redbubble.com forward slash magic, well, I think it, if you just search Magical DLP on there, uh, you'll find the lovely I Love Projection Mapping t- T-shirt. I think it's only about £20, so it's a bit of a bargain. I'm going to buy one. Absolute bargain. You don't have loads to... <laughs> of people wandering around Disneyland Paris wearing I Love Projection Mapping T-shirts. Especially um, seeing as though in April, well, in March, late March, we're going to have the brand new uh, Nighttime Spectacular in Disney Ooh. Illuminations. Maybe it should have. We maybe should have had one on the back that said, "I miss dreams." <laughs> well, I mean, that's an entirely separate twenty-pound T-shirt, really, isn't it? When you think about it. There we go. Let's have a whole range of them. People do badges. Let's do T-shirts. There we <laughs> I go. I miss Disney dreams. Oh dear. <laughs> um, but yeah, projection mapping. Um, we normally talk about how it could be incorporated onto the show building. Um, to be honest, even though we slated the show building before at the start of the podcast, it doesn't look too bad in the night. In night, obviously. You can't when see night, it. <laughs> when it's night No, you can, though. That's the thing. All the lights, the different colours, the fact that the sign's lit up. It doesn't look too bad. Uh, I remember seeing a video from Run Disney uh, where one of the clips was the runners running past Armageddon in the Walt Disney Studios Park, and the lights actually looked really, really nice. Um, so to add a bit of projection mapping, I know the um, 
it's not so it hasn't, hasn't got any real life flames on the top we're not going to put them on there because it'll cost even more money but could you have some other special effects or just project the flames on just project the flames on project the flames on the tail of the uh, meteorite as it's coming towards the uh, buggy park area you could yeah. do could yeah, be, um, yeah. I think inside the attraction as well, you could probably do bits of projection mapping to make it look like extra panels are sort of coming loose or shaking, you know, just to, you know, really make everything look like it's falling apart rather than just the bits that actually are, you know, connected to hydraulics that make them fall apart. Yeah. See, my favourite idea and my favourite newest piece of tech with regards to projection mapping, which I've shared a few videos of this on Facebook and Twitter, it's the like real time um, projection mapping and tracking of like, faces and movable objects. Now, people have asked, where could you use this? Now, if you've got cast members walking around, obviously they're in the show building, they're in the main show as all the fire effects and the wind and the floor is all going off and kicking off. Could they not have the face of the Russian cosmonaut or astronaut projected onto their face in real time so they're actually part of the attraction? Oh, I mean, how cool would that be? I'm not going to lie. I, I, I think projection mapping on people's faces is a really terrifying prospect because it's... That's why it's oh, so good. That's scary, isn't it? But, uh, yeah, I mean, that would that would really bring it to life, wouldn't it? Because then, you know, you've got, you've got characters right there. Uh, what about the... Um, obviously, if you want Bruce Willis or... Who, who else was on there as well? Uh, I can't remember his name now. Ben Affleck. He was on this film as well. What I if it was uh, Ben Affleck in it? I, yeah, Who did you not watch it? I think is, am I am I still talking about the wrong film? <laughs> <laughs> this would be amazing if I've spent the whole film talking about the wrong characters and the wrong actors. Um, what you could do is you could project these people, these actors' faces. Yeah, Ben Affleck is on the film. Come on, Simon, you need to know what you're talking about. <laughs> um, Bruce, you could have Bruce Willis on projected onto somebody's face in real time so randomly as they're coming through the attraction they could be randomly picked and they're tracked all the way through and everyone's looking at you as if to say why is everyone looking at everyone like pointing oh there's bruce willis that would give it an extra bit of interactivity there it would be really fun you know I just, just <laughs> very scary you're, you're not the shy person in the room who suddenly becomes bruce willis <laughs> But like um, when you enter Disneyland Paris, uh, it, there's a sign on each of the parks that say filming is happening today. And that sign's normally there every day. Um, by entering the park, you agree to be filmed. So s small terms and conditions, like when you sign up to iTunes you, or Facebook, you scroll right down at the bottom, press OK. But when you actually spend some time reading them, which is quite sad, you know that you've, sent, you've sold your soul to the devil. They're going to be able to buy every single image and make a film out of your life. Good job, we've all got very exciting lives then, am I right? <laughs> that is true. Obviously, we're, we're hosts of a podcast, so Ooh, yeah. I was a lot, a lot more exciting than some. We're basically celebrities. <laughs> so, um, if you have any suggestions of, whether do you like our ideas for projection mapping, or our ideas for the new play, uh, play area, pre-show area, all the uh, area. new stories, <laughs> let yeah, us know. To, to play area for kids in space with loads of fire. That's what we can do. The pre-show is just a big play area with projection mapping, so the kids think that they are like hurtling towards the death onto them like, via meteorite. <laughs> and then, yeah. um, then obviously, then the adults, while the adults are in the main show building, getting the uh, real fire effects. There could be some uh, people looking after, like some nursery uh, teachers looking after the young kids on a play area. There we go. Clever thinking. <laughs> right, let's move on straight away to the listeners' opinions. Uh, we've probably been on for an hour now. 
Um, so we've got probably another hour to go. Here are some opinions. We're going to go straight into an email from Luke at NIDLP Geek. Now, pre-warning, this is one, two, three, four, four pages long. Probably three pages if I condense it a little bit. So I'll just have a little swig of water <clears throat> and a cough. Right, here we go. Luke says, In a way, Armageddon symbolises a very different time in the history of Disneyland Paris. While recent decisions and additions to the park are debated today on their quality, there is no dispute Walt Disney Studios' 2002 debut was met with underwhelmed fans. A rushed development and creatively lacking execution that still haunts the park to this day. Disney built themselves into many corners with the studios, and while some of these have been resolved, the Armageddon situation has prevailed, destined to disappoint guests and frustrate fans for nearly 15 years. The first problem the attraction suffers from is that the IP it finds itself based on. There's no denying in 1998 Armageddon was a pretty major motion picture with a large marketing campaign. Big star on the posters, and even an Aerosmith hit song to tie it all together. The movie even brought in a very tidy profit for Disney. Uh, I think it actually cost them like 120 million, I think, or 140 million dollars, and they actually made 553 million dollars. So it's uh, one of those. It did bring in quite a lot of money. Um, critically, though, the movie was panned by reviewers and audiences alike. I didn't mind it. Um, with the test of time not being any more forgiving to the film. Come four years later, the movie has been largely forgotten by the general public, reserved for bargain bin video stores as a 90s cheesy disaster flick. This begs the very question why it was even chosen to begin with, to be an attraction within a Disney park, a brand that has always prided itself on high quality. The decision of theme is never the deciding fact, however. The vast majority of us, for, for example, love the Hyperion airship, but have never seen the film. A pure IP can often be excused in the execution of the experience is done right, something that is very clearly not the case with Armageddon. Our first issue, yes, we're only on the first issue, is the exterior. It's just a building with a sign outside. It, that is really it. There's no effort in theming, no attempt to tell the story from its appearance. Just a grey, ugly building with a frankly embarrassingly large sign and what can be only described as red scaffolding to make you think that the builders forgot to clean up. This, of course, uh, this is of course an issue with the entirety of Backlot, and management at the time may have excused this with the whole working studio theme. But to myself and every other fan, it just screams a lack of funding and a lack of imagination. As time has passed and that working studio theme quickly diminished from the pack, the ugliness and boring design of Armageddon only sticks out more. For those who dare to step foot into the attraction, either out of curiosity or more likely a lost bet. Things only get worse from here. Not wanting to be outdone with their missteps of theme and building, the decision makers behind Armageddon hit the home run in creating a near 15-minute pre-show of pure boredom. While good attractions such as Tower of Terror and Phantom Manor use their pre-ride segment to set the scene appropriately and prepare guests for the experience, we are instead treated to a behind-the-scenes look at the making of Armageddon movie, presumably ripped from the DVD special features. Before the cheesiest, most basic excuse for guest interaction I have ever seen. Not sure Ouch. if I can agree with that bit, but the pre-show, definitely. The sheer fact this mind-numbingly dull segment is actually longer than the main show is laughable. The best summary I've ever seen or heard on the attraction came from a complete outsider to Disney parks, and they experienced Armageddon for the first time. 15 minutes of getting excited for the ride does not constitute as being part of the ride. Nice little quote there. 
If you ever manage to endure the pre-show without clawing your way out of the building, your reward is to finally experience the main show. After even more waiting around inside the space station set and listening to cheesy acting by our supporting cast, the special effects of the meteor strike will finally kick in. Some ground shake, some smoke effects and a couple of fire bursts in the room. Credit where credit is due, the actual set does look pretty cool, but that's only about the positive thing um, in this attraction misfire. After so long waiting for being hyped up for an incredible special effect experience, it's very hard not to be left entirely underwhelmed with effects and pyrotechnics you have seen already in other attractions throughout the park and done a lot better too. For all these faults, many look towards Armageddon undoubtedly as the worst attraction in the entirety of Disneyland Paris. While it is hard to argue with this, it is virtually non-existent redeeming features. The modesty of the ride is its only saving grace to keep it off the last place in his eyes. Tucked away in a corner of Backlot, now hidden behind the Tower of Terror, it almost feels as if the attraction is aware of how poor it is and thus hiding from the attention of the guests. Its tiny footprint also means that the attraction is wasting very little space in the park, probably one of the reasons why it's still there today. The same can certainly not be said for the studio tram tour, whose frankly criminal design cuts off all expansion from the Walt Disney Studios beyond its entrance. The sheer fact that this track has already had to be altered twice no less to make way for Toy Story Playland and Ratatouille is only proof that the attraction must go and until that day it takes the unwanted spot as worst attraction in Disneyland Paris. So what does the future hold for Armageddon? It's clear through fan reactions its days are outnumbered and the replacement is only a matter of time. What will come to replace it however is something that no one can really decide on and everyone has an opinion of. While some have called for a meet and greet zone or reskin of the existing show mechanics, I believe the Armageddon's building's the Armageddon building's future relies on redevelopment of Backlot itself. Heavily speculated by fans and armchair imagineers such as myself, there have been calls for a Backlot transformation into Marvel Land ever since Disney brought the comic book giant in 2009. After giving far too much thought into this for my own good, I have my own little master plan on exactly what I could do with the rethemed backlot and how I would transform it into a superhero utopia. Maybe someday I'll jot down in a big blog post or something. But until then, I'll share my dreams for Armageddon. Surprising, no one. I'd completely scrap the attraction's interior and gutted. <gasps> Providing Disney with an entirely blank canvas to work with. Due to the complicatedly small size of the building, a new attraction just isn't realistic. While the meet and greet area is solely missed and solely needed in studios, there is another element that is absolutely necessity for Marvel Land. Astor. Given my way, I would transform Armageddon from a dull, hated, forgotten attraction into Disneyland Paris' flagship Marvel-centric store, the one-stop shop for all superhero-related merchandise. This is exactly what is readed right now in the resort, as Iron Man, Captain America and friends currently find themselves dotted all over the place, wherever there's shelf space. Theme is as in a traditional New York-based comic book store, trying... Uh, tying into my grander Marvel land theme of New York City, the shop would also stock Marvel collectibles and other memorabilia. You would often find in comic book related store and convention stores. Marvel comics would of course be available for purchase too in their own comic book section towards the back of the store. Much like reference full movies, Marvel Studios entertain the masses with our studio store name harkens back to a famous catchphrase from the one and only Stanley. 
Excelsior Comics would open along with the rest of Marvel Land once the development of the area is complete, finally providing the building with a theme, stable IP and purpose. Thanks guys, Luke. Well, that was a long one. That's that's a lot of opinions there, and <laughs> I tell you what, Luke, I would really, really like to hear about your idea for uh, for turning Backlot into into a coherent Marvel land because I mean, as you know, said earlier, I, I'm not that into Marvel, but everything that I know about it really fits uh, with really fundamentally retheming Backlot. You wouldn't even necessarily need to. I wouldn't go as far as like gutting the rides or anything. Just a retheme, a simple retheme, keeping all the existing mechanics. You know, so something good could could still definitely be done with that. Uh, <laughs> maybe it's because I, I'm not that into Marvel, but I would hate the idea of losing an attraction, even if it is something a bit rubbish like Armageddon, and just having a shop. I mean, I, to me that just kind of sounds like commercialism gone completely mad. I would prefer it as a meet and greet, so at least you can vaguely claim that that's an attraction, but they they... They, being Disneyland Paris, have made clear that it's a concern for them that the Walt Disney Studios Park is currently not, as they would call a full-day theme park, and they want it to become one. I feel like it just can't lose any attractions. They've got to keep building new things, and even if the old stuff's rubbish, they've just got to leave it there because it, it's, you know, it, it is still an attraction and makes the list of things to do in that park look bigger and better. A shop? Oh, I, that, I don't feel like that's a very good selling point. But then again, you know, if you're a big Marvel fan, you'd probably really disagree with me on that. <laughs> I, I, I do agree with him in some respect. Now, if if it, if Armageddon is to go, um, and there is going to be a completely big retheming of that end of the park to a Marvel land, then I think losing one attraction, if you're going to have so many extra added elements and such a big themed area obviously it will need and these days that's what it comes with it, they do have stores and shops there so obviously Ratatouille when that was there they added the attraction but they also added the restaurant and the shop so I wouldn't be surprised if if they did end up doing a Marvel Land that a shop would be part of the plans if it's only a small space and the, the ideas you've got there um, Luke were amazing and you must have spent a lot of time thinking of those and like Simon said you need to jot those ideas down for Marvel and share them. Yep, even if you definitely. want to come on, even if you want to come onto our podcast in the future and talk us through your ideas um, and what you would actually do, and we can kind of pick them apart and give you our opinion, that would be amazing. Oh, so, I think yeah, I think I think a refurbishment of Backlot. How would you change Backlot? Sort of the worst era of Disneyland Paris. How would you change it? I think that's a really good idea for a podcast. Let's write that one down. You're in charge of thing, remembering that, by the way. <laughs> I will write it down. <laughs> so, um, if you want to go through um, the next email, because um, I'm still b taking a breather from uh, reading all of Luke's. Yeah, have a rest, you know, let, let your throat calm down, have a nice long drink of water. So, Alan Wheeler, via email, says hi to the magical twosome. That's us. Woo! Hello, hello. That's a, it's a good nickname. I like it, actually. I think we could carry it. Put that on a T-shirt as well. Ah, uh, another £20 T-shirt. <laughs> So, the Wheeler family's opinion on Armageddon. The positives. The flames can warm you up on a winter's day. It can get you out of the rain for a good 20 minutes. It's respite from the sun in summer. And can you imagine even more concrete pathways if it wasn't there? It offers a pre-show to try to keep you entertained whilst you're waiting for the main event. 
I guess a little more seriously though, we've been through this attraction just once. This is partly uh, as being so close to seeming to seeing fire and catastrophe still scares daughter Emily. I think the real problem with this attraction is the pre-show. It's just awful in our opinion. I actually quite like the actual attraction. Certainly wouldn't want to go and see it every time, but now and again, it's good. I get the uh, clamberries sort of burn it down and all that, but surely its footprint is quite small, so could you actually replace it with anything that's tangibly good anyway? Keep up the good work, as always. Regards, Alan and the Wheeler family. I think we pretty much agree with all of that. Oh, definitely, yeah. It's nice to see that he actually enjoys the main part as well. It's a shame that Absolutely. his daughter Emily's scared of it, though. Yeah. And uh, But it put it down as one of, one of the fans of the attraction who wouldn't want to see every time... But I don't think you'd want to see it go either. No, absolutely. And I mean, it does, as you know, as as Luke raised the point as well, Armageddon does have a, a very small footprint. And I think that is one of the reasons why we haven't... We've heard lots of sort of rumours from fans saying, oh, yeah, oh, they're going to have to change Armageddon at some point. But we really haven't heard anything official at all. Like, we've had no, like, sort of long-term concrete rumours of any of any one thing that, that, that they could... That they could really do with it, at least not for a very long time. So the, the only thing official that we've actually heard, I think, was the fact that they've said, "Well, it still gets good reviews by the guests, and it's yeah, not." That's that's definitely that, the most recent thing I've heard as well. So that's all they're basically saying is until they get other news, which is all of the guests hate it, and that doesn't mean the Disneyland Paris community, the fan community, because we don't really count as normal guests. Um, if the normal guests that go once every so many years or even just once ever, if they're complaining and say that was the worst attraction ever, then that's when they might do something about it. So, uh, yeah, well, it's, I think it's here to stay for quite a while yet. Um, so. This next email um, brought a smile to my face. Um, we had a review from I, an iTunes review on our last episode. Uh, we sadly haven't got any reviews to talk about this time. But anyway, <gasps> um, Ella... Catherine, um, she tweeted, well, she didn't, she emailed us, but it was because we asked her uh, on the review to let us know how her GCSE results went because um, she'd just been on the podcast and uh, we give her a shout out, wishing her good luck. She also went to a Disneyland Paris trip as well, just after her GCSEs. So this lovely email just gives us an update of what happened and uh, how she was. So she said, I've literally only just listened to the podcast on Hotel Cheyenne, in which you gave my iTunes review a shout-out. Whoop, whoop, shout-out. And uh, asked me to let you know my GCSE results and how my Disneyland Paris trip went. My GCSE results were nine A stars and an A. A A stars in chemistry, physics, biology, maths, English language, English literature, geography, German and French, and an A in music. Bloody music. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh, that's a spread of results, isn't it? Oh, that good. Crikey. Now, I really hope she revised hard, because if you didn't revise at all, then that's just making me really jealous, because I oh. didn't get anywhere near those results in my GCSEs. No, I mean, I'm, I'm sat in a college of Cambridge University, and I didn't get GCSE results like that. Oh, nine A stars. Oh. So what she does need to do is she needs to tell us what she's going to do after she's studied A-levels. Is she is she um, setting her sights high? Is she going to come and join you? Become an imaginaire. <laughs> there we go. If she can't do it, nobody can. Um, <laughs> she says, therefore, as it probably won't surprise you, based on my iTunes username, um, made up of her two favourite elements. Uh, what was it again? Manga something, manganese. Um, oh, again, we should have it noted down, especially as we mentioned this before. Um, 
No, I can't remember. Anyway, I think, what would your two um, special favourite elements be, if we were to ask you, Simon? If I had two favourite elements, I don't know, one of the, like, ones with silly names, like Americanium feels a bit, you know, it's a bit brash on the part of the Americans. Aluminum. Well, I mean, that's just, they just say that one wrong, to be honest. <laughs> they can't they can't claim that one. I would go for gold and silver. It's good choices. Definitely good choices. Because I've, I come first and second all the time in any competition. But never third. Nope. <laughs> anyway, um, if you want a Science of Disneyland Paris section on your podcast, more, she's more than happy to help. Uh, she's currently studying A-levels in chemistry, physics and biology and maths. Blimey, she picks the easiest ones to yeah, study. I know, cranky, whoa. Uh, as her trip to Disneyland Paris it was an awesome experience as you'd expect aside from the patch of damp on her ceiling hotel a ceiling hotel a hotel ceiling at the Emperor's Hotel Um, we won't mention that because it's not an on-site Disney hotel so we'll forget about that Um, it was also a first trip with the Ratatouille ride available and uh, she got to give her mum all of the fun facts from the podcast that we did um it doesn't say it here, but I'm sure she meant to say that it was the, her favourite podcast episode. Um, Simon, you weren't <laughs> you weren't on that episode. Um, so obviously, these amazing facts that she was giving her mum as she was going around Ratatouille was nothing to do with you. No, nope, no. Nope. In fairness, amazing facts does tend not to be my speciality. <laughs> um, it was Jeff. Uh, who joined me for that one so a big shout out to Jeff from DLP Town Square uh, mm-hmm. she had an amazing time and uh, she got her wish as well from when she was about six years old granted of meeting Peter Pan even if she had to stand in line for one and a quarter hours um, you'd think that was a bad thing but within that time the parts of the Caribbean wait time dropped substantially so she basically walked straight onto the ride afterwards would you stay in a queue line for one and a quarter hours to meet Peter Pan, Simon? Well, you know, I was saying earlier that the last time I was at Disneyland Paris, I uh, I only did one character meet and greet because we just found them as they were coming out so we didn't have to queue. Well, that actually was Peter Pan. So so you wouldn't queue for him no. for an hour and a quarter? No, no I wouldn't, but uh, I, I would queue for, for no amount of time, and I did. There you go. Nail that one. Luckily, you were lucky, right place, right time. Yeah, it was it was it was around by Casey Judy. I've not. I don't even know what we were doing there. Probably going to Casey Judy and being like, "Wow, that's a long queue for that. Never mind." Oh look, characters. there's Peter Pan. Yeah. <laughs> uh, on the subject of Armageddon, which is actually what this podcast's about, yeah. um, I've admittedly never been on the ride, but <gasps> when I was in Disney and in that area of the park, it had queues of about half an hour. I was there just before the peak season, so how does that work? I'm not entirely sure why they've still got Armageddon there, as from what I can gather, that part of the studios is aimed at teenagers and adults, but I'm 16 and I haven't heard of at least 80% of the actors that they have the pictures of on the show building. Why is it still there? If you're going to re-theme Space Mountain with Star Wars, can we have a re-theme of Armageddon for Season of the Force? It would be a tad more appropriate, methinks. Anywho, loving the podcast, and thanks for giving me a shout-out last time. Boy, am I looking forward to the next episode, Ella. And haven't we kept her waiting? Oh, we have, yeah. We always, we always got to keep them waiting. Got to keep them waiting. Treat them mean to keep them keen. Yeah, I, I've got to say, I completely agree with Ella on the whole. If you're going to re-theme Space Mountain, Space Mountain, we have the best Space Mountain in the world. I'm just going to put that out there. If you're going to re-theme that with Star Wars... Why? Why not Armageddon? Ah, oh, when Seven of the Force is supposedly in Walt Disney Studios anyway. 
Yeah, it does it does bother me? I'm completely I, I'm completely with Ella on that. It really frustrates me. But there we are. It's clearly not what they think is uh, is appropriate. Also, with the whole uh, not knowing who the actors are. I mean, you know, I'm a few years older than you. I still don't know who any of them are. But you know, has anyone uh, of your age group ever listened to anything Aerosmith? I mean, I have. But to be honest, I only picked that up from from the Disney attractions. So I, I can't imagine people younger than me would would even know who the hell they are. Um, and we've already found out that you don't know who... Well, you know Ben Affleck is, but you didn't know he was in this film. So. Didn't know he was in the film. <laughs> anyway, um, thank you, Ella. Uh, lovely to hear from you, and uh, hopefully you'll email in for some future podcasts, and we'll tell you what the next podcast is very soon. Ooh, um, it is. Now, we're taking turns with these emails, so that means that, luckily for me, that was a short one. You've now got a lovely one from Alan at Café Fantasia. Oh, but as we know from our earlier fun facts from Alan, these are, they are always high, high quality. Right, so here's uh, the email from Alan at Cafe Fantasia on Twitter. I first experienced Armageddon at the Walt Disney Studios Park shareholders preview day back in February 2002. Having previously done other special effects shows such as Backdraft and Twister at Universal Studios, I went in with high expectations. I was expecting something big and impressive and intense. Needless to say, I came out disappointed. Laughy, crying face. For me, Armageddon fails for two main reasons. Number one, the main showroom is too small to provide the necessary uh, to provide the space necessary to create spectacular special effects that have a genuine wow factor. The fire effects are relatively small compared to Backdraft, for example, and the windows, which offer you a view out of space, aren't large enough to create a, an intent the intended illusion. Second point, the main show is quite frankly confusing. It's not really clear what's supposed to be happening. Part of that might be be because of all the French dialogue, which I can't understand. Not can I, Alan? Don't worry. And Neither part can of I. that, yeah, fair enough. And part of that might simply be because not much is actually happening. The special effects are disappointing, and the audio, dialogue, special effects, music, etc., attempts to make the show sound more exciting, action-packed than it actually is. So, Alan's ideas. Just three years ago at the Shareholders Club roundtable discussion, Felipe Gas said that there were no plans to close Armageddon. So I don't think we should be surprised if it stays around for a few more years. Here we have the quote from Felipe Gas. We do not plan to close Tram Tour and Armageddon as they are still attractive for our guests. Because obviously, <laughs> that's a very good French accent that I just did there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. However, Bonjour. Bonjour. Beyond that... <laughs> What does the future hold for Armageddon? Well, I think replacing it with yet another special effects show is unlikely. Imagineers have officially said that they're moving away from the how movies are made concept in Paris. Here's a quote. We like the idea now in the studios of telling deeply immersive stories instead of how movies are made. So we're really moving away from that. That was from uh, Chrissy Allen, who's the executive producer at Walt Disney Imagineering uh, in, this season, in the season past podcast episode number 301 this is amazing alan does better referencing for these notes that he sends into us than i do in my essays for my degree it's extraordinary it's top quality so what, so what you need to do is you need to send your essay into alan and to i'm alan, sure he'll, alan uh, can you can you make tweak this good it for me It'd be great in a free t-shirt <laughs> free 20 pound t-shirt it's worth it so the armageddon show building is relatively small if you gutted the interior, what kind of attraction could you actually fit inside it that would be genuinely amazing? Perhaps some sort of simulator or VR experience? Certainly not a dark ride or a roller coaster. 
Perhaps the best place to start is first to decide what the new theme for the backlot should be. The backlot is arguably the bleakest and ugliest area of any Disney theme park that's ever existed and is so in drastic need of a total rethink and redesign and it has been for over 14 years. The most logical new theme for the whole area is of course Marvel and given that there's already a Meet Spider-Man and the Disney Blockbuster Cafe featuring an Iron Man room, I think it's clear that Disney agrees. An idea that keeps cropping up in the fan community is turning Armageddon into a meet and greet experience. So, what if Armageddon became an Iron Man meet and greet, borrowing from the design work done for Disneyland's Iron Man Tech and Hong Kong Disneyland's Iron Man Experience? Guests could enter Tony Stark's workshop, see the Hall of Armor featuring all the different generations of suit, before meeting Iron Man himself. Personally, I'm not into meet and greets, but this is something I definitely want to check out, particularly if it was faithful to the films. Alan. I would definitely want to check it out. Um, the meet and greet. Now, so Iron Man. If it, had, if it had, you know, lots of cool scenery in it as well. I'd yeah, be, Iron it? Man's one of the Marvel. Well, some of the Marvel films that I have watched, um, so I would know what's going on there. Um, also, definitely agree with. Obviously, well, he agrees with what Luke is saying. It needs to be a Marvel area. Yeah. The kind of pushing themselves to that way. Now, a bit of tech information that he mentioned because uh, obviously the size of the show building is quite small and he said about it's not being uh, big enough for a dark ride or a roller coaster unless you were to expand the back of the attraction which you probably can't because of uh, tram tour but I like what he said about <laughs> v- it's always the problem isn't it <laughs> um, I, like what he, I like what he mentioned VR experience now I've never really mentioned well I don't think we have mentioned this on a podcast episode yet but um, as well as projection mapping, one of my interests, and we might start having a, like a virtual reality experience section on the podcast every time as well. Whoa. And I might even make a virtual reality T-shirt. Who knows? Um, <laughs> scan, a, scan a QR code on my T-shirt and you'll become like in a different world. Who knows? Um, but yeah, obviously virtual reality is kind of on the cusp of being popular at the moment. Everybody's trying to do it, whether it's Google Cardboard, whether it's PlayStation... Uh, VR headset, Oculus Rift, um, a lot of theme parks now as well are theming roller coasters with VR headsets. Um, the good thing about that is you can kind of put people on the attraction into anywhere, anytime. Uh, anything could be happening to them. Um, so maybe it could be some kind of seating where you're sitting down in some kind of simulator, but instead of it being Star as where the screen's in front of you and you've got 3D glasses on, you could have virtual reality glasses on so you can move around. You could be anywhere. You could be an animal. You could be in. Each, to be honest, each individual person in the attraction could be experiencing something completely different. Now, it, would, it probably would never happen. But you, could you go in the queue area, pick what ride you want to experience, pick a Marvel character to be, pick a Marvel film to be in, and then you kind of experience a different attraction to the person sitting next to you? It's possible. It is. It is indeed. I mean, the technology is there. I think the one thing that that uh, could put Disney off is the reason why they they did away with things like Honey I Shrunk the Audience and Captain EO, and that was that, say, 3D film technology just became so sort of mainstream that it wasn't wasn't special enough to have a place in the Disney theme park. And of course, with things like Google Cardboard, you know, HTC Vive, PlayStation, uh, whatever their VR thing is called, if VR becomes mainstream. It doesn't really have that much place in a Disney park. You know, if you can go home and experience some VR stuff, why on earth would you pay a hell of a lot of money to come to a Disney theme park and experience it? That's true. Um, but they went, again, I don't want to spoil Ratatouille for you, but obviously you know it's 3D screens and 4D effects. 
Yep. And that's that's been there, done that. I remember going to a Bradford has, tele- has, television has museum. Big big sets though, and obviously you move around on a trackless uh, dark ride. It, it does. Obviously, you don't have one of those in your house, but I, uh, I do not. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I know what you mean. Um, but I think I don't, I don't know. I think I, meet and greets have been and done. Like a lot of theme parks have meet and greets now, so like I don't think they're totally exclusive of we need to do something brand new. Um, especially in Disneyland Paris as well. Because obviously <laughs> another amazing piece of tech that's been trialled and the patent's been um, uh, put in for it in America, it's use of drones for nighttime shows to the fireworks. Now, obviously with fireworks, you can program them to do certain things and to explode in a certain way. But if you use individual drones as the individual pixels, um, you can create an image in the sky, you can make them into fireworks, you can have them flying and doing any shape and movement possible. That is new, but I don't see that coming to Disneyland Paris at all, really. Especially not in the near future. No, I don't um, think so. I think um, European laws would be a lot more difficult to to get around to be able to actually put a bunch of drones in the sky. But you never know. I mean, it, if it's cheaper to have a fleet of drones that you use every night to go up and, and you know have some bright LEDs attached to them, if that's cheaper and blowing up a bunch of pyrotechnics then I wouldn't be surprised if uh, Disneyland Paris might want to make the shift at some point it's very possible I'm definitely keeping a close eye on that technology so it's VR drones and projection mapping Um, we definitely need a geeky podcast you could definitely do something with all three at the same time oh just imagine just imagine because uh, you could have virtual reality which is augmented virtual reality so you mm-hmm. are wearing some kind of headset and you see it through your headset but then there's augmented bits put onto it but then there's projection mapping as well my, my imagination's going away with me here we'll be back <laughs> in we'll be back in uh, email from kevin dolby uh, hi andrew and simon keep up the good work with the podcast i don't mind to get over to dlp as much as i'd like so listening in keeps the magic alive armageddon now there's a contentious ride love it or hate it just like the movie i think it has a place in the park is the bad press just rhetoric or is it really that bad no, it's not bad. It's just let down by the lacklustre sheet pen of a queue and what to me is the worst dumbed down and dated pre-show ever conceived. First pass through, the pre-show is just bearable, but subsequent, yes, I have ridden this attraction more than once, become tedious. Reminds me of what all, um, reminds me of one of those old VHS information films at school back in the 80s. Credit to the cast members trying to drum up or drum up enthusiasm, but even this is flawed as the crowd side is too small to feel comfortable. If ever a ride required a Marvel makeover, this is it. A modern context would go a long way to improve the image of the ride. Changing the narrative, video and audio shouldn't be a problem for those genius Imagineers. But what to do with the sheet pen and whoop whoop interactive (laughs) pre-show? How about putting the old simulators from Star Tours into the pre-show? This could be a simulation of the journey to and the attack of the villain's secret lair. Then the guest would switch from the viewpoint of the hero, leaving the simulator and joining the poor villain trapped in the lair, using the current show area as the lair. Any change to the pre-show would be a blessing, even an interactive walk-around display of Marvel gadgets and props would do. Cheers, Kevin. Um, it does cover some of the things we've already mentioned, but and again, it, obviously mine was about standing on a meteorite, but he's talking about two sides of a story. So you're kind of in a simulator for one side when you're the hero and then you kind of jump to the point of view of uh, the villain 
and you get to be in the secret lair when things are blowing up because the hero is smashing you to bits with a spaceship. Not a bad idea. Mm, sounds exciting. Um, but then obviously if that's so good, you're then going to really show Q area, no pre-show, then you've got a bit of a problem. Yeah, I mean, I think as, as is always kind of the problem with Armageddon, it's money and space. Armageddon has a has a very small footprint, as we've discussed earlier. So trying to trying to get anything else into it is, uh, whew, that's quite a challenge. So um, they always say leave the best till last. Um, we were going to do that with Kevin's email, but um, then Jeff emailed a few minutes before we were going to record. So uh, <laughs> cutting it fine. <laughs> So, um, yeah, we normally say leave the best to last. This probably wasn't the best person to leave to last, but actually, I'm only completely joking, obviously. Oh, <laughs> I'm only joking. He knows I'm only joking. Um, so, yeah, Simon, take it away. So, this is uh, an email, a very late email from Jeff at DLP Townsquare on Twitter. Hi, Andrew and Simon. Let's get the good out of the way first. I really do love how Armageddon is in a building. This means I can go in, in there when it's raining and stay dry for at least 20 minutes. I really do think the indoor element is perhaps the attraction's strongest point. Yeah! Unfortunately, this dry 20 minutes also happens to be the longest 20 minutes of my day, trip, month, year, and life. Put simply, Armageddon is boring. My first attempt on it, I actually quite enjoyed it. I always actually sort of liked the film, and this did a decent job in recreating a a section from it. The problem is, in a land of exciting, immersive attractions... This is flat. The pre-show is long and boring and is essentially standing in a room listening to a cast member talk at you for 10 minutes or so before moving to another room, standing on a platform that jolts a little bit. It's a waste of an Imagineer's effort to create when many other experiences could take place in that universe that would actually be good. Put simply, it's okay the first time, but has zero rewritability. Or should I change that to rideability? Its saving grace is that it's a dry place to stand for a few minutes on a rainy day. Having said that, I do have another go every so often, but only come out thinking, why on earth did I think that was a good idea? Please, Disneyland Paris, change this ride to anything. A meet and greet location, even. Anything with a better outside look, because it's bland and boring even to look at. On the upside, you can squeeze it in before lunch and exit the ride, smelling the sweet smell of a Café de Cascadeurs burger. Thanks, Jeff. Wow, that's... That's he's just completely won you over. I mean, what a what a way to finish the uh, the listeners' uh, f- opinions on the podcast. Cascadeurs burger. Oh yeah, that's that. <laughs> there's no point discussing anything else. You're just that, thinking about that, the burgers now, aren't you, Andrew? I am. I can Come see on, them in my head. Out of it. This is a, this is about Armageddon. Are it's we going to be... need to do a whole podcast episode on Cafe de Cascadeurs? Of course we are. Because um, <laughs> believe it or not, and I don't want to mention it now because we will do one. There is such a good history behind that um, diner. Where, <laughs> where uh, uh, we, I know the backstory of where it came from, where where it was before it came from that place, and um, everything. So we've uh, definitely got to do a, a full two-hour episode just on the Café de Cascadeur Burger. So there Andy. it is, everyone. That's our next part. No, it's not. It's no, not. it's not. <laughs> it is eventually, but not now. Um, not now. See, I thought that he was going to start off by saying it's actually a good attraction, but then he totally ruins no, it by no. saying it's just... Um, very simple. To be honest, my opinion, I really, really I do like... Not love, I, I probably said love before, but I do like the main show area. I would not do yep. it every single time. And nope. a very similar kind of idea, I would, I'll would, i do it. 
then I'll wait a couple of years, then I'll think, oh, I haven't done that for a while, I bet it's not as bad as I thought it was. I'll do it, then I'll be like, the pre-show was horrible, but the main bit wasn't that bad. And then next year I'll be like, oh, I'm not going on there again because the pre-show is horrible. So I've probably done it four times, uh, with a, like four or five-year gap in between or something in between them all. Um, but yeah, I can probably agree with everything he's saying there. And he's even saying, that, although he says there's no rideability at all, or zero re-rideability, I think... If I'm going with new people, obviously I don't say, everyone, quick, go to Armageddon. But if there's nothing else to do and I explain what it is, they don't really see the negative side, really. And they'll say, well, that was a long time in there. But it depends who you go with. But I've never had really any major negatives, which kind of shows that the more general guests who aren't looking like like with a fine-tooth comb into everything, they're not really that bothered. And it's like, oh, that was interesting. Move on, next Yep, and I guess that's why Disney's not scrapping it. <laughs> there we go. Um, and like I said, even if the best part of it is exiting the ride and smelling the uh, sweet smell of Café de Castigadero. Sweet smell. They cook them right in front of your eyes. <laughs> you can, you sit, you're sitting on the counter as they're flipping the burgers. No, no, Armageddon. Armageddon is the um, subject. Sorry, yeah. Um, right, um, right. As we said, there are no iTunes reviews at all, so I've got <laughs> in capital Why? letters here. It's probably because we've left it so long again, Simon. It's true. No, um, iTunes review, do it. If you've do done it, it already, do it, do it again. Um, Simon, you haven't commented on our own podcast, by the way. iTunes review. I'll be so funny if the next episode we can read a review from yourself. I, t- I tell you what, because I don't use iTunes. Doesn't matter. You, f- you must have an account. Um. I, so... I. Hmm, I don't know, actually. Probably yeah. would do. I bet you've got one somewhere. If you haven't, somewhere. sign up for to, one. I'll have to dig it out. Sign up for one, because I want you to talk to yourself in <laughs> iTunes and then answer yourself on the podcast. That's the t- that, We always give each other... Well, we always give the listeners a challenge. That's what your challenge it's is. my challenge, is it? What if I leave a one-star review? No, you're not allowed to do that. We'll find somebody else to replace you. Five stars. <laughs> I was wonderful. Yeah, I must say, Simon, you were wonderful in the last episode. <laughs> that moment when you said Café de Cascadeurs Burger was the piece de resistance. That is exactly the kind of thing I would say. So, uh, yeah, if you haven't done it yet, iTunes review, do it. Um, share it as well, because the more people that listen to us, um, the more ratings we'll get, and we'll think, wait a minute, loads of people are listening to this, so we'll, uh, we always say we'll do more of them. But like I've said, I think quality is better than quantity. Um, so we will, we'll run out of attractions at some point anyway if we do it every week we definitely will but we can definitely do about a whole 10 episode series of projection mapping so don't worry we've always oh, got easily. that to we've got to. loads to do for that yeah. <laughs> we could even just cut all the bits from all the different episodes where we've mentioned the word projection mapping and just make an episode just from that um, I want to quickly mention what's going to be happening personally I'm, I'm, this is being selfish I just wanted to talk about it so I'm so excited Um currently working with uh, work slash school I always call it school even though officially it's work um, on the trip to Disneyland Paris in February 2017 I've mentioned it lots of times before um, there's even an article on the website magicaldlp.co.uk basically we're going again uh, for a conference an IT conference uh, so there'll be people from the world of IT there and business and media we only it's a long bus journey so I'm not going to talk about that again but we're there (laughs) for about a day and a half in the park and luckily it's timed perfectly because uh, Season of the Force will be on in Walt Disney Studios Park while I'm there. So 
it depending on what time the park closes and when the uh, the nighttime spectacular is on and when the parades and things are happening that might dictate when the bedtime curfew will be for the students <laughs> well you've got to see it so I've got to see it so either the, the other teachers have to stay back and wait for the kids and I'm, I'm obviously surveying the park making sure that all of our students have exited the park safely so that's why I have to stay and watch the nighttime spectacular on the Tower of Terror obviously if the head teacher is listening mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. but apart from that one which luckily for me um, it gets paid for so it's a great excuse to get to Disneyland Paris for free um, I am going with my family in April uh, we will be there on the 12th as well on the 12th of April 2017 for the 25th anniversary celebrations um, no idea what's happening on that day it could just be a normal day we uh, are staying in the Sequoia Lodge for the first time um, we decided because it's a family event and I always stay in the hotel Cheyenne as you'll have found from the last episode we thought this time we'll uh, we'll change it up a little bit um, one of the reasons why as well is because don't t- don't say anybody anything too loudly and you'll you'll be really jealous of this Simon as well seeing as though you're still at university but my student loan's paid off now <gasps> oh don't say that oh that's a distant distant <laughs> dream for me so um that's kind of helping us uh, upgrade to a different hotel. But yeah, I might, um, I might have to take out a mortgage on my loan to be able to afford to go to Disneyland Paris. Well, there you go. You have to sacrifice something for your <laughs> listeners. <laughs> if you could do that and meet us, we could do a live episode, but that's not oh, going to happen. That'd be great. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, Disneyland Paris haven't released anything, but I am there on that date, so if something happens, there's a good chance that I might be able to get to it. So if you're listening, Disneyland Paris... I am there. Invite me. Give me a place at the front of the queue. Um, give me a press pack. Whatever you want to do, I'm there. Yes, um, Disneyland Paris. Come on. So, um, yeah. Depending on how it goes, I would love um, to record some stuff while I'm there and uh, do a podcast for you, share all of the spoilers of what happened. Um, there's loads of rumours going around that there'll be like big celebrities doing a live concert there. Um, who knows if that is going to happen and if it does happen, how much will tickets cost how many tickets will there be so uh, we'll soon find out, hopefully in uh, due course, but it's going to be an amazing year for me, two visits to Disneyland Paris uh, at the start of the year don't want to make you too jealous Simon I am jealous <laughs> well if if we get enough people buying t-shirts and they're not, I designed them just for me basically. The, the t-shirt was so I could buy it and have it on in the parks when I was there but it is available in Redbubble, like I said. So if enough people buy it, I think we make like one pound profit off every T-shirt or something like that. What I'll do is... One pound profit on a 20 pound T-shirt? Some, something like that, yeah. I didn't Oof. I didn't change the percentage of what we make anyway. So if we do make any money, and once we've paid for the um, hosting, that hosts this wonderful website and podcast, then mm-hmm. um, I, might, I might provide you with two pound towards your ticket to come and join us. Score. <laughs> so yeah, um, that's what's going to be happening. If you've got any questions or you want to talk to me about the trips that are coming up, just let me know on Twitter at MagicalDLP. Um, eventually, maybe towards the time, if, if it works out well, we might have a little podcast that discusses what it was like in February for me and maybe what I'm preparing uh, if we know a bit more news of what's happening in April for the 25th celebrations. Um, let's talk about what's happening next. The next focus of the uh, Magical DLP podcast will see me and my wonderful sidekick, Simon, 
discussing the magical world of Main Street, USA. Huzzah! That's amazing. We're attacking a land. It's going to be the whole land. Um, That could even be two or three podcasts. Who knows? We'll plan it and we'll see how it goes. We'll see how many uh, opinions we get as well. We've got quite a lot for this Armageddon episode, so I'm expecting that we're going to get a bucket load of... uh, information and reviews and opinions from the fans about main street usa absolutely there's there's so many different things that you could pick up on about main street usa from you know the architecture to the different eateries there so many things you could talk about and you all have your own favorite things about it so let us know write into us definitely um email at podcast at magicaldlp.co.uk you can message us on twitter uh, we're on facebook as well you can comment on there or you can visit our website at magicaldlp.co.uk and use the contact us form on there um, depending on how it goes and how much we get we could potentially do a podcast about the arcades on each side we could then do a podcast episode about the shops on main street we could then do a podcast episode on the uh, restaurants on main street we could then do a podcast episode on the parades that go up and down main street so many potential uh, things so we could even make this like a little mini series uh, depending on how it goes uh, we'll do our research like we always do and we'll try and bring you something new so if you've got any secrets or any tips about being on main street or you've heard something from somewhere else again let us know Email us at podcast at magicaldlp.co.uk. Uh, we've also got Simon on Twitter as well. What's your handle on Twitter, Simon? At SimCity West. Like the video game and then my last name. I was just about to say, is that because you're a big fan of SimCity? Well, uh, people always ask me this. Uh, no, <laughs> no, I'm not really, to be perfectly honest. I've so, had one so is there a reason why? And I thought it was a bit lacklustre. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. It was, uh, it was my, well, still is my, uh, my gamer tag on Xbox, and I just sort of carried it over and. I don't, can you change your Twitter handle? I don't even know. Yeah, you can change your Twitter handle. Oh. I think. I might. I, I might. Yeah, do, you can. I don't. I don't really know what I change it to, to be honest. MDLP West. <laughs> <laughs> Podcast West. Podcast West. <laughs> it rhymes. Alone in the West. Out. Out West. Go. Go West. <laughs> Um, no, I can't forgive anything else. If you've got an opinion on what Simon could uh, name his new Twitter handle, then you could also email us at podcast at magicaldlp.co.uk or tag his current uh, handle, which is at SimCityWest. For some reason as well, you put it on in capitals. Yeah, just, yeah. So for, for somebody who's got OCD, I haven't got OCD, but somebody out there will have OCD and they see lots of lovely, correctly capitalised letters and all of a sudden, SimCityWest. Which is crazy because I mean you think like I'd put it all in capitals if I was really sure that I really liked the name and I wanted to make sure that everybody saw it like it was a big deal but nope not at all but for some reason I've put it in block capitals. (laughs) So yeah um, this is the time where we now say goodbye. Um, Thanks for joining us for episode 15 of the Magical Disneyland Paris podcast. Until next time goodbye. Goodbye. That was the most enthusiastic goodbye of all, Simon. Huzzah! Pretty intense, huh? That's why I told you, touch nothing but your bunch of cowboys. Cowboys!